You're listening to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Enjoy the show. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling i think it's the learning to adapt right you learn you learn how to adapt you learn how to solve problems you know if i look back my time that's good wrestling if it gave me one thing more than anything else it's mental toughness done it welcome back let's get going with this one folks i have a great guest today you're listening to wrestling changed my life my guest is coach o john osendorp who is the head coach at co college one of the premier division three programs in the country and you've never seen a culture like the co college team these guys year in and year out are consistent battling with the with the top guys in division three before being the head coach at co coach osendorp wrestled for Gable under those early 90s teams that it's considered the new era. Uh, when he was a junior, Iowa had seven guys ranked number one in the country at one point. And Coach O was a two-time All-American there. He was a world team member in 95 and it's just battled with, with some of the best wrestling has to offer. And he's an awesome guy and I hope you enjoy the podcast. My fan of the week goes to Jordan Westfall, who was a teammate of my brother Tanner's at Co. And we certainly appreciate you listening, Jordan. Thank you all so much. Big shout out to my co-guys, Clayton Rush, Ethan Ball. Enjoy this episode with Coach O as we take you to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Coach O, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? Hey, Ryan. Doing well. I'm doing well. All of our freshmen just came in uh, this Saturday and getting ready for another season. And I'm glad to be talking to you here. Man, what's well, an honor. And... I know when you say that the freshman just came in, for the listeners who might not know, you're the head coach at Coe College, Division Three powerhouse, uh, one of the most unique cultures I've ever been around in my time in wrestling. Um, so that's exciting. And I know just from you know knowing you and listening to some interviews with you, you're really big on kind of the personal relationships you have with your wrestlers, and that's something you picked up from Gable. So if we go back in time to maybe like the senior year, your high school senior year, kind of talk us through how you got to the University of Iowa and what your first experiences with Coach Gable were. Uh, honestly, it was, it was kind of a, a unique, unique situation. Mitch Kelly, who I have the utmost respect for, came to our school um, and he, he wrestled Iowa and was really close with Coach Gable. He came to our school and student taught and um, actually worked with me a lot, uh, him and Coach Cool. Um, who was my high school coach my senior year and really through him um, he had a connection with coach Gable and you know I had always thought I was going to go on and play uh, football in college and um, it ended up right at the end there I wasn't offered a D1 scholarship but I was offered a UNI and actually the night before I was going to sign my football scholarship at UNI, um, Coach Gable and Coach Johnson came down. I ended up signing a wrestling scholarship to wrestle in Iowa. <laughs> Man, <laughs> that is uh, – I've heard another story where Coach Gable kind of showed up at the 11th hour like that. Uh, Royce Alger told that yeah. story where he was going to sign with UNI yep. and they kind of showed up and Gable just was like, I'm going to sit in your bedroom and you make the decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, – it was more of a case. My, you know, I kind of grew like each year I wrestled 145 in high school, then 165, and then 185, and then basically 210 my senior year. And um, the recruiting process, you know, I was weighing um, probably 185 pounds 
going into my senior, you know, after my, my, my junior year. And then I gained another 20 pounds my senior year. So, you know, at like when I was at state track or even that fall, um, Mike Stoops was a football coach at Iowa, young GA. He would come over and actually watch wrestling practice um, with the intention that I was, after my freshman year, I was going to go off for football. Um, but it was just, you know, wrestling for Iowa, it was such a commitment to do it then. And I actually ended up doing it two years later, going into my junior year. Uh, and then we put, they put me on football scholarship my senior year. So I played, ended up playing football and wrestling, doing both my last two years at Iowa. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting how things can change where you think you're going to do one sport and, and, you know, it's pretty hard to turn down coach Gable and get in a wrestle for him <laughs> and the university of Iowa wrestling. So. Well, and you know, Mark Johnson is a legend where I'm from the quad cities. So he's been on the show and I really just love Mark Johnson and he might, I mean, it's crazy to say he's not well known, but maybe now for some of the guys who are coming up, they don't know that he was there for 12 years, was an Olympian in his own right. Is that how you got into Greco through Coach Johnson? Uh, yes, I did. And to talk about Coach Johnson, I don't think there's anyone that I could have in a higher esteem as Coach Johnson. He was just such a impressive guy, impressive person, uh, and he was such a figure. Uh, you had Coach Gable who was a head coach, but from a, my upper weight standpoint, coach, coach Johnson, I was equally as close with him and, uh, just an all around impressive, impressive person. I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to be coached by coach Gable uh, and coach Johnson and coach Johnson was there my first two years and then, uh, went to Oregon state after that. So. Yeah. And people don't know that when he went to Oregon state, they were last in the PAC 12 his first year there, his second year there, they bring in Les Gutches. I think they won the Pac-12 and made a pretty good showing at the Nationals. Then he went to Illinois but and then built a, a dynasty there. But that's a guy where, man, he just seems to do the right thing all the time. And we've all seen that picture when he's in that red singlet, how jacked that dude was. He must have been pretty tough to go. Oh, with. yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you when you would wrestle him, he would, he would, he would just put you on lockdown. You felt pretty helpless. <laughs> I remember one Saturday. We'd have Saturday morning football games and, and I was a true freshman. He and I were pretty close and, and he was my upper weight coach and there'd get to be two or 300 people coming and watch practice. And before we started one of our live goes, we were getting ready to shake hands and I look over and I say, Hey coach, who is that over there? And he looked over and I freight train doubled him <laughs> to start. I knew I was going to at least get one takedown in and then I. I don't think I got off the bottom for the next 45 minutes, but yeah, he was, he was, he was a lot of fun, just a great mentor and figure. So I have a ton of respect for him today. Oh man, he's awesome. And he just gets you fired up talking to him. He still has that intensity. Now, when you were a freshman, was uh, the spring of 87 your freshman year or was the spring of 88 your freshman year? Spring of 88 was my redshirt freshman year. Okay. So I'm also doing a, a podcast documentary on Gable, and that 86-87 season's been really interesting. So, you know, everyone knows that in 87, they were going for 10 in a row. Penrith's up by one, gets bladled by Kelly, and they lose to Iowa State. And then Iowa goes on a four-year streak of not winning. And they got second three times, and but then they got sixth one year. So it's kind of like the only years you can point to that would be considered a drought, so to speak, even though they were, mm-hmm. you know, really high up every year. But then... When you were there, your last couple of years, they had one of the best teams ever in 91-92, where seven guys were ranked number one that year. Talk about what was it like to kind of witness the change from your first three years where you guys weren't winning to when you were back on top. Was it noticeable, or was it just some kind of progression that happened naturally? Um, you know, I when I came in, our my redshirt freshman year, we did not win it. And my true or my my fresh my or my true freshman year we didn't win it. My freshman year we didn't win it, and then my sophomore, junior, senior year that's when we went on that roll again, and and they won those was it six or seven in a row again. Mm-hmm. But I can remember, and, and coach talked about culture all the time. When I came in as a as a true freshman, um, you know we. And I actually remember the spring before that, I came in to lift weights. I'd already committed there, and I came in to lift weights. And it was, I think, a week after the national tournament. And Coach Gable, I'll never forget it. I, he was standing by his locker there, and 
uh, he is the most, I mean, he, he was an incredibly driven person and I can remember him, how riled up he was. And he was yelling, he goes in, he was just, he was not going to stand for them not being national champions. And, and that's what made him of, of all the things that made, I mean, there was a lot of different things that made him a great coach. He, uh, he was incredibly driven. Uh, but he was also, he was observant. He would recognize things and he would attack them to fix them. And, and he was adaptable. And, he, and that's one thing that I think the great coaches, you know, they think one way, but they're athletes. Not everybody thinks the way you do. Otherwise, it'd be easy to coach. And I think he was so good at adapting his um, philosophy to working with you know, 30 different individuals. And, and that's what, I mean, he was driven, but I think there's other driven people out there. Now he's pretty extremely driven, but I think he was so good at reading his athletes. Uh, but I remember him when I walked in there to change to go in the locker room, he was ranting and raving and talking to me and he was already coaching me before I ever stepped in the room really. Um, and, and he had such a presence, but wow. you know, even as good as they were, there was a four year drought but he got it fixed and he fixed the culture and then they went on another run. And that's what's so impressive is he was able to get it back uh, and keep it there. That's, and that's what I, I keep thinking is he would have been one of the best wrestling coaches of all time if he had only won those nine straight. But the fact that he won another six after that, and if you consider besides 90, Iowa won every national title from 91 through 2000. And those those three years when Zaleski won, a lot of those guys were Gable guys too. So I mean, there's no question that he had a huge impact on dominating college wrestling in the 80s and the 90s. Um, but I think one of the things that gets overshadowed is Coach Gable's ability to have individual relationships with the guys. And this is something that all of your wrestlers tell me. You do the same thing. Like you have a really unique ability to develop personal relationships with the guys, so that they don't feel judged and that they can be open around you. And I think during Kind of when I was coming up, people thought of Iowa as just go hard, go hard, and you didn't really hear about those personal connections. So like, how how have you learned from Coach Gable on developing those relationships and applying that to your own to your own game as a coach? Well, just looking at Coach Gable, I mean, he he drove us and he drove us incredibly hard. But there, you always felt like he had your back, and and he was as much as he pushed us. I mean, I think to almost to a T, all of us love him and, and would, you know, and that's, that's what he built that relationship. And, and it was a tough relationship, but, but there was such a connection to him and that he was looking out for us and he was, he wanted us to help reach his goals. And you saw how driven he was and how um, committed he was to reaching our goals, but he had a compassion to him that made him extremely extremely effective I think and he's just kind of a unique guy I mean he he had a personality that he didn't have to say a lot and it would mean a lot I remember one time um, I went and I was a a true freshman and I had a we had a tough wrestling workout and I went in and lifted the next morning and he saw me and he goes Ostendorp he goes after that workout you're in here lifting today he goes he just shook his head and he walked out and I could tell he was impressed. And that made me, I mean, that was his way of motivating me. And, and from then on, you know, you just wanted to always be in the weight room. And, and, you know, he had the benefit of being a, a, a living legend coaching you, but still it wasn't, I mean, he, he, he was on a daily basis was just, he he doesn't get credit for how compassionate and smart and intelligent and observant he was. It's not all about being driven. I think there's a lot of driven people, but he was incredibly intelligent and, and genuine and compassionate. Man, that's a great story. And that that's probably a story where back in the time that stuck with you all day. Like the, just those few words. He oh said. yeah. 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 Because he didn't, you know, he wasn't a cheerleader type coach. He would, he would push you and push you. But when he would, he would say something that it would, I mean, I remember to this day, like certain things he said to me and how it affected me. Um, and, and he was, but you know, uh, but he was adaptable too. I mean, he had, he would take all different kind of, of, of backgrounds or different styles or philosophies and he would get the most out of them. Um, 
And, and that's what probably, uh, you know, he realized not everybody thought the way he did. Uh, and he was ahead of his time. We used to, we would do like two hour practices, probably maybe two hours and 15 minutes. And we would do a lot of live wrestling. And I, as a light heavyweight, I was probably 230 pounds, but by the middle of January, my weight, I would lose some weight. I would lose quite a bit of weight and probably, you know, you know, probably lose some of my pop and explosion uh, where a lot of our guys were cutting a lot of weight. The brands, those guys were cutting maybe 20 pounds. And you know, when they would have those long workouts, it would probably help them, you know, because it, it helped those guys burn down their weight and stay, mm-hmm. you know, help them make weight. Well, uh, one time, middle of January, I was wrestling Wayne Cole. Might have been my sophomore year. And, uh, and he, he was a high level wrestler. He was wrestling freestyle. And it was middle of January and the grind of the season, the two a days. And, and he was just taking it to me. And then I wrestled him again in the spring where, after I was lifting with football for maybe three, make a long story short, I wasn't on the mat for probably two months and just lifting and lifting and lifting. And I wrestled him and maybe took him down seven times to zero. And Coach Gable saw that one thing. And from that time forward, he recognized it. And this was before overtraining was ever even thought about. He'd be like, Ostendorf, I want you to go lift weights today. Or about once a week, he'd do that. Ostendorf, I want you to go hunting today. He knew I needed sometimes to get away from it. Um, and, and that was 30 years ago, 25 years ago. So, you know, he wasn't just pushed us, pushed us. I mean, he pushed us, but he was smart about it. He understood people and, and he understood how to motivate people. And he's just ahead of his time. He, I mean, he's such a new, unique individual. And that's why you don't see people win nine national championships and then go on another run of seven. Um, he just, he, he almost always made the right call on those individuals and, and that's how he could get him to perform under duress. Man, that's a cool, that's amazing that he recognized that it just, you know, it's a little detail that most people would probably go unnoticed on and yeah. picked it up and filed it away and used it. One, one, yeah. One workout in June at a summer camp, he saw it and he's like, okay, that's the guy that middle of January was having trouble, you know, competing with Wayne. Right. And in two and a half months later of lifting and being off the mat, he took him down like seven times in a row. And and from that from that point forward, it was different. Um, and that's what, you know, that's just that's it. he was ahead of his time in that era. No question. Now, you were a four time national qualifier. You had also made a couple junior, few the junior. Greco World teams, and I think even won a world title during uh, during your first couple of years there. And then your uh, yep. junior and senior year, you placed twice. What was kind of the the transition point for you to make that switch from contender to a guy who's competing with the Kurt Angles of the world? And, and mm. like, what what was that transition point for you? I would say honestly, my freshman year, my true, or my, my redshirt freshman year at one time, I was like 24 and one. And the guy that I lost to early in the year, I had beat from Minnesota. I lost to him in the Northern open. He used to be a big preseason tournament. I had beat him like 14 to seven in the duel. So, so basically, uh, you know, every, I had beat everybody my freshman year and we went down to Oklahoma state and I wrestled Kurt Maiman, who ended up being a four-time um, All-American. And I beat him like six to three, but I popped my knee. I popped my LCL. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think we had maybe three weeks before Big Tens. And um, we wrestled Big Tens. And I was, I think I was in the quarters. And I was wrestling a Wisconsin kid. And it was like 14 to one. I wanted to tech him. So maybe 20 seconds left. I hit like a duck and I almost hit it too far over and got ran over and I popped my MCL, which they're a little more debilitating than LCL. Um, and that was, you know, two weeks before national. So, you know, I, I went out in the semifinals against the guy. I think he was, uh, I think I, he was the Holman's older brother and he was ranked like ninth. kind of went out and just threw a body lock. I knew I was hurting. I threw a body lock and pinned him. Uh, and then I tried to wrestle in the finals against Llewellyn, who he's, he's a tough wrestler. And, yeah. Yeah. You we know, just was not mobile. Um, and, and he, he beat me in the big 10 finals bad, but, uh, then I, I had two more weeks to try to get healthy for nationals, ended up getting beat in the quarters by Maiman. 
um, and then got beat in the blood round. And, you know, it was probably not the two weeks prior to there where I couldn't wrestle, but probably the five or six weeks from Oklahoma State till nationals. I lost a little conditioning. I lost a little mobility. So I ended up, I went in on a four seed and ended up not placing. Um, the guy from Penn State who was in the finals, I beat like 13 to six during the the year. So I was more of those where I was there. It was there for the taking and I didn't get it done my freshman year. And it was one of the one times where I ever really, I mean, it bothered me. And I didn't, I allowed my, my national tournament to affect some of my spring and my summer. And I started missing football a little bit. And I allowed just some, some probably feeling sorry for myself a little bit and some negativity, maybe just because I didn't reach my goal, just affect me, my summer training, or even into my, my sophomore year. Um, and looking back now as a coach, you know, I see it, it, I, you got to be able to get over it. And it's one of the one times where I was just down. I was really down. Um, and, and at Iowa, Hey, when you're winning, it's great. I mean, you're the toast of the town, but you know, not being an all American and, um, my freshman year, I remember I was lifting and they were taking kids. I was lifting. It was like midday. They were taking kids through the wrestling room, showing them like wrestling. And there's probably like eight or nine year olds. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coach Gable was bringing them in there, and I was benching. And one of the kids, he goes, "Hey, this is Coach Ostendorp, or this is John Ostendorp, our heavyweight." And one of the kids, I'll never forget, it, he goes, "My dad said you choked." <laughs> and and uh, you know, yeah, no, I remember that. And um, and Coach Gable's like, "Oh no, he had a great year," you know. But it, that's one little thing. But it was like, er, you know, that was kind of where my mind was, and and. I didn't reach my goal and I put, I mean, it was, there's a lot of work you put into it. And I kind of let myself probably feel sorry for myself some and, and just didn't train with um, the hunger, the intensity, or I was just kind of down, I guess, depressed maybe a little bit. Um, but, uh, and it affects some of my training and, you know, my, my sophomore year, I think I, I got beaten the blood round. I think I was like 27 and 11, maybe, or 28 and 11. Um, but I had kind of an area where, I had some down down matches and started coming out of it at nationals and end up getting beat like in a close one. I think the Maimon mm-hmm. from Oklahoma State. So, so yeah, and then, so you know that's two years and I wasn't all American and, and felt like I, was, I it was attainable, but um, so at then I kind of broke through on my junior. Year. Yeah. So, but at that point though, you know you're to you you're falling short. I mean, by anyone else's standards, you're having some pretty good seasons, but. At that point, did like Gable step in and say, "Okay, maybe you should play football just to kind of relax a little bit"? Or like, how did that? You all know, transpire? I tried to do it. I tried to do it after my freshman year, and he wouldn't let me. Uh, and and then after my sophomore year, and that and that's credit to Coach Gable. I went to him, and he embraced it. And that's where, you know, that's when I uh, I started lifting with football and went out my junior year. And I and I think not only being able to do football. Um, took took away me missing it, but it also, um, you know, just made me even appreciate wrestling more. Maybe, um, and you know, then I had my junior year. I took uh, my junior year. I took fifth, and then you know, my senior year I took third. So beating Rulon Gardner, but, uh, yeah, let's not downplay it. Beating Rulon Gardner for third. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. We had a pretty good match there. So, so then you, uh, you, you graduate. I mean, you're you're teammates with some legends tom ryan tom and terry brands the steiners chad uh Z- is it zapital and then bart chesselvin yep, I, mean, I, I, I think yep. I, I read at one point the 91 92 season you guys had seven guys ranked number one at one point and that's just yeah it, it was pretty loaded i think that was, in big tens that year we might have had was it eight or nine in the finals i think wow that's crazy yeah, yeah that was, um, that was that was a pretty loaded team. Loaded. And and then you go on to be part of the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. You make the world championship team in 95. So you made the national team in 95. Um, now, was that at heavyweight or 220? Because I couldn't really figure it out. That was at 220. That was at 220. My 94 through um, 96, the weight was 220. And then my, my last two years, they dropped it down to 211. So Gotcha. And then in yep. 
96, you win the U.S. Open and come a match short of making the Olympic team, which I know I've heard interviews is obviously a tough time for anyone. But more importantly, you've gone on to impact so many lives through Go College. I think it would have been a shame if you didn't end up as the head coach there. So like looking back on 96, what do you take from that to help your athletes now as a coach? Oh yeah. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a tough lesson to learn, but looking back, you know, I can, I know exactly what looking back now, I can see exactly what happened. Um, and you know, we, you, uh, you, you pull on your past experiences. So, you know, that's, I think history is one of our greatest teachers and, and you pull on your past experiences and try to, you know, I think as a, as a head coach, um, you try to, you try to, um, stop things before they become issues or, or you'll start seeing, you know, you'll start seeing things in individuals before it becomes an issue. You try to address it. Or, you know, as a coach, I say my, my number one job is to erase the doubt in our athletes. Uh, and you do that from training, you do it from preparation. Um, you do it from, you know, and I remember coach Gable did this and, and he had this ingrained in us where I remember we had a recruit come on campus and we were talking to him. He said, well, he said, well, it's Iowa. And then he said a couple other schools in the big 10. And I can remember sitting there thinking we were at sports call. I remember thinking to myself, crystal clear. Why would you ever go to those other schools? Like, why would you not go here? And that, that was part of what coach Gable had ingrained with us. That was that we're in the best environment. We're out training people. We're out lifting them. We're out toughing them. Um, and that's a big part of wrestling is getting your athletes to believe in themselves and your system and your program. But I remember to a T I, uh, that I remember thinking he was a heavyweight too. And I remember thinking, well, God, why would he, why would he not go here? Right. And that was just a testament to the belief he instilled in you guys as a coach. And I know when you were at co one of my, my good friends, Clayton rush um, came in as a highly touted recruit I think he was third his freshman year. Then his sophomore year, he got fifth. And he went on to win two national titles his junior and senior year. But that's probably a kind of a similar situation as what you had when you were an athlete because, you know, Clayton tells him he just needed to get away from it. So I, I don't know if you remember that season at all when Clayton got fifth. I mean, or kind of how you applied those lessons to, 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 his, to his game because it seems pretty similar to, to maybe putting too much pressure on yourself or taking it too seriously and, I've heard you talk about the trials in '96, and it sounds kind of similar to that. So, just wondering if that any parallels yeah. there. Yeah. Well, here's the thing with Clayton is he's tough enough and proud enough. He wouldn't have told you that he tore his shoulder the first match of the year. This is where Clayton gets some of his toughness. First match of the year, he wrestles a guy, and the guy ends up winning the junior national or the junior college national championship this year. But Clayton has an underhook, and he rips to a front headlock, and I see him kind of like move his shoulder afterwards. Like I was like, something happened to his shoulder there. The first match of the year, he tore his labrum and he wrestled the entire year with the labrum. And that's probably a lot to do with him placing fifth. But I called his mom and I said, well, Hey Gail, um, Clayton tore his shoulder, uh, tore his labrum. Uh, the trainer said, we might need to get it checked out and possible surgery. And she told me right there, she goes, well, I'll tell you this surgery is not an option. So he's going to go with it. <laughs> and sure enough, he went, he ran the entire season with it, wrestled every match and <laughs> just a great competitor, but Gail wasn't having any of the, the surgeries. So, oh, but in that, that definitely, yeah. Yeah. Clayton. I mean, he, Clayton was his freshman year. He's in the finals and, and hit a shot, and, you know, sat for a second. He was actually up five to nothing at that point. Guy cut the corner and, and put a cradle on, but, uh, yeah, he was a great competitor for us. Great competitor. But, you know, there are team, you do need to read your athletes. And, and I think, especially now in the time of specialization, um, there's times they need to get away. And that's why you need to know some of them need to be away more than others. Um, and some of them like to be on the mat almost all the time. And that's kind of what I said where, you know, Coach Gable, he realized I need to be off the mat maybe just a day a week. And back then we probably did go six, seven days a week, a lot of the time, but, um, and that's probably the thing I take most from coach Gable is you have a team, but you have a team of individuals. And I think he was so good at adapting, recognizing that and not allowing his fanatical training mindset to, to 
put that on every other athlete because they wouldn't they would probably flourish in that environment. But there's no doubt about it. You do have to have a foundation uh, of work and discipline and sacrifice to to be those championship teams. But but you got to be you have to be and it goes back to where we talked about and why I love coaching the most is just getting to know your athletes, developing relationships where you know them. I mean, Coach Gable knew what I needed more than I thought I. I mean, he he knew me better than I knew myself at times. Looking back, I mean, that's what made him so special as a coach. And how do you kind of apply that and to build this incredible culture you have now at Co? Because I've never seen a uh, a program such as Co where everyone's so close and it's like a family. And like if you and you're probably thinking, well. You know, maybe you're too humble to admit this, but like, how do you do that? Or like, what what are some of the things you try to do to build that culture? Because it's such a unique place at Co. Um, you know what? That one thing, number one thing is, and we try to preach that, and we try to talk about taking pride in your family, our wrestling family. Um, but a big part is we really don't mass recruit people. We look for people who we think are going to come in and, and be you know, help, help us reach our goals and what they are. So we bring in people who we think are good people who are committed that wrestling is important. Um, and I also have, you know, I've been able to keep around some of my assistants that are, are extremely bright, motivated, and just great people, great mentors. Uh, you know, some of my assistants have been with me, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. Um, and they're doing it because of love, just because they love the program and they love working with our athletes because I'm definitely not paying them <laughs> where what they deserve to be paid. Um, but I think in another thing in our system is, Hey, we, we all of us coaches have our strengths uh, and we tried, everybody has a role and, and it's just it's kind of part of a family and you just buy into it. And, and um, they say, I'm glad that they feel, feel strongly about our program after four years. I think that's a key part, though, is not just recruiting a guy to tell your buddies, hey, I got this four-time state state placer. Kind of like just getting a guy to brag about it versus, hey, I got a guy that qualified four times. He's really got this mentality that I like. And that's 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 a key part of it. I never even thought about that. Yeah, we really, I mean, you really um, need to recruit um a person's attitude and mindset as much as you do the talent, because some people struggle when they get in college um, and they haven't had to go through a lot of adversity. You take a college room and it's, it's basically the top one or two high school kids off each team go on and wrestle college. So you'll have a college room. And even in that college room, there's different levels of commitment. Um, and, yeah, you know, we talk a lot in our program about lifting people up, lifting people up, lifting people up. Like 2008 through 14, we were top five in the nation five or six years. And only one time of those years had we had uh, a transfer in the lineup. And I think it was one one time of those teams that placed in the top top five. And most of them were fourth or thirds. Um, so we feel like our system, when we find the right young men and, and we plug them in and they buy into it, um, it's effective. And, and that's where I, and that's why I feel so good about right now. We have, I mean, we have a lot of high level kids that are coming in this year. I think every one of them were a state qualifier and like 15 of them were multiple state placers or, um, and, but the thing is the reason they've been successful, it wasn't their credentials. It's the type of people they are and their attitudes. And through the recruiting process, you get to know that. Um, and, and when you are a family, you really interact and everybody influences everybody else around them. And that's what, that's what has me so excited, has, has me so excited about where we're at right now with our program. We feel like we're in a position to go on a, go on a big run here. But again, talk's cheap, you know, it, it's something actions speak louder than words, but um, by, by what I'm seeing right now, I'm pretty excited. When you got this new room, that's state of the art wrestling facility. How did all that come about? They had been talking about a new athletic facility um, for for a number of years, um, and then then it really in the last four or five years, it really become in this in this it really got serious about the talk, and 
in the planning stages and and uh, we've had alum who's been very generous to our program and co and um he really stepped up with a lead donation and and it's yeah we're we're very fortunate here um in private you know not only do we have great facilities but our offices are right down here where um you're just having daily interaction with your athletes and and that's what it's about it's about uh you're managing your athletes that's a big part of when they go away to college for the first time um they're going to need some some support and structure and some guys need more structure than others and we try to make sure we provide that and for the folks who haven't seen this uh just google the co-college wrestling facility it's unbelievable three full mats it's just awesome um and as we uh as we move into some more kind of rapid fire questions they don't have to be rapid responses so to speak but these are just kind of more pointed questions we've got some got from some of the listeners uh the first one this is just selfishly i'd love to hear your opinion on this because everyone who thinks they're a high performer or that they give it all they're going to go through setbacks right maybe it's a setback with a girlfriend maybe it's in your professional life with you didn't hit your sales number or whatever it is and you know we've talked about some of the ones you've gone through like what would your advice be to someone who is kind of putting themselves out there every day but just isn't isn't getting it done like how to get over that hump and kind of get back on the track like if you look at how you responded in 96 or how terry brands responded after losing to caliber like what are some common characteristics of folks who are able to get back going after they've experienced a setback uh, obviously a setback can be tough and there's different degrees of that but one thing we talk about our wrestlers is we and i'm i really try to push this is you need to take pride in every day's little accomplishments um and and by that i mean hey getting up early getting your body going getting working um you just feel good about yourself it's like a natural high whether you're getting a workout in you're getting up and you're being effective in the in the office or, or at work um and we we talk a lot about being uh taking taking pride in your in how you address the day um and that's no different in in the great ones here's the great ones when you're doing sprints you almost become a prisoner of your work ethic. When you're doing sprints, I talk about our guys doing sprints. You, when you want to be great, you're the guy that you feel guilty if you take one off. That's the kind of stuff that, that we really, and, and different people, it helps a ton when you surround yourself with people that are like-minded. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why I feel great about right now. I, you know, for, 2008 through 14, we were top five, five out of six out of seven years. Um, and I feel like with our upperclassmen and our incoming freshmen that we're in position to have that kind of environment where you benefit from those around you. You surround yourself with people that elevate your standards. Um, and it's human nature to not push that hard. And, but when you get enough people on the, on the right track, you can do some great things and, and you can make history. And Day by day is kind of the theme there. And it, it's refreshing to hear that because it means you can get, you get some momentum going today, right? It doesn't have to be something that's four or five months out. Like if you take pride in today, you can get it going right away. Absolutely. Hey, if, if somebody oversleeps from a lifting workout in the morning and I see them in the hallway, what's it, what do they feel like when they look at me? Um, and that's why when you start doing things right, you feel different about yourself. And, and when you get on board and you have that sense of accomplishment, whether it's a job, whether it's in your classroom, uh, in, in the more people you can surround yourself. And that's what we, we talk about being winners and a winner isn't just about the performance. It's about how you approach things. We've had guys in our program that have not been starters and their legacy, as far as being talked about. Um, and so what about so-and-so it's when you say someone in your, in your program, people think about that person and they have a certain mindset about him. And we've had people that weren't even starters that were some of the best leaders in our program and most impactful. I just, I, I love hearing people talk about this and that's why I wanted to ask. And that was just a question I wanted to selfishly ask because I, I think it's interesting how people handle that because not everyone feels good every day, but you need to still do the things 
that you need to be successful every day. So I'm just I'm always curious to hear how high performers answer that question. Tom Ryan says something very similar, just about kind of winning the day, so to speak. Um, and now you, you talk about people who are really driven and disciplined. One guy who's coming to your program in the last couple of years uh, is Larry Lee, Spencer Lee's dad. What kind of how did all that transpire, and what have you learned from him over the past couple of years? He seems like a very driven person as well. Uh, yes, he's ex- extremely driven. Um, and, and whatever he has in front of him, and it'd probably be like Coach Gable in wrestling. Uh, he, he attacks it until he feels good about it, and, and he has it fixed. And, and that's like if I have something I go to him uh, about, I will get an email before the end of the day, no matter how busy he is. And um, he's a man of action. He gets things done, and, and he's been great to have here at Co. And, and has been very supportive of the wrestling program. Obviously, he's a big wrestling fan, and um, yeah, he's an extremely driven individual. And is he part of the? Is he the athletic director for Co? Uh, he is the vice president uh, in charge of athletics, food service, and res life. So, gotcha. you know, the three things that affect our athletes. He has a direct impact in. Man, I just. I mean, you got to know the guy's an animal. He's a go-getter. And obviously, he's passed that down to his kid. But I just love people who are driven like that. Um, another guy who definitely fits that bill, Steve Mako. I heard from a number of the guys, Ethan Ball, my brother, uh, Clayton Rush, that you've had some encounters with with the bear. What was that like? <laughs> what do you remember from those guys? They were miserable. They were miserable. <laughs> no, no, they were – well, I'd be coaching um, – I was, I was a full-time coach up here at that time and, and coach brands would call me, Tom brands would call me. He'd be like, Hey, Oh, we can use you down here to work out tonight. And the last thing I wanted to do is drive down at seven o'clock and wrestle, uh, Steve Mako, but I couldn't say no to, <laughs> I couldn't say no to coach brands. And, and, um, you know, Steve, he's as, as intense as they come, but he's a great guy. And, and I got to know him and, and it was hard to say no, to coach brands, but also I liked helping Steve, but yeah, that was a miserable workout when if, and at that point I was still competing internationally, Greco Roman, but I, I was probably, you know, it was the one time where I couldn't train like I really needed to train because I was doing a full-time job, but yeah, uh, luckily coach brands made a more shorter goes when we'd go, but man, he was about a 285 pounds of just coming at you. He'd be like Mark Ironside, except he was 280 pounds of attacking you. <laughs> He's a pretty tough guy. Was he a freshman but at that time? He would have been, he might have been a, I think it was after, he might have been his freshman, maybe his second year. Okay. It's ironic because you kind of remind me of a Tommy Rollins build and style, which that was his main competitor at that time. Um, and Rollins actually did go down in the international circuit to 205 or 210, whatever it was. So, um, yep. that's interesting that you kind of fit that bill. I mean, just the last thing on Mako is like, yeah, a lot of guys go hard. A lot of guys hand fight hard, but like, what, what do you think was unique about that? I'm sure you've gone with a lot of guys since then, but outside of his, I have, level, um, the, the biggest thing with Steve was just the incredible amount of pressure he put on you. Um, and, and there are certain guys that can wrestle like that type of that, like an Ironside. Um, or, you know, the brands were like that or, or swab, you would put a ton of pressure on you, but there's very few guys that were 285 pounds that would put that kind of pressure on you. Of all my times of wrestling, it'd be like Roy Souther. He was one of the, I mean, he was probably one of the, if you just like the toughest guys just physically to wrestle, Mm. he might've weighed 200 pounds, but he would come at you and he, and he would just mean and tough and, and you were in for a war. Uh, now Steve Mocker was 285 pounds. He didn't do that. So he, he would, and, and again, I wasn't training like at the top of my shape, but yeah. he would put an incredible amount of pressure on you. Um, and you know, that's, that's what made him who he was and so successful. I forgot. You know, and then you... people look at like people's, people look at people's minds or they look at like a, just an athletically, the mind, different people's minds can, uh, can can have different. I mean, the, there's different levels of what they're able to depths they're able to go. Uh, and a guy like an Alger, a guy like an Ironside or Mako, those guys, their strength was their mind and how much pressure they could put on and how much they could push yourself themselves. And um, 
Oh, that's what Steve was, and he was 285 pounds, and it was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And he had, like, the I technical... I think we'd, we'd, about every time we'd wrestle, we'd get into it. Luckily, Brands would stop it, because I don't, I don't think... Like an actual I don't think I could go as long as he could at that time. Uh, most, they were always open hands, but they were, they were, yeah, they would, that would happen. <laughs> man. One time we were doing it, and he picked me up on a double leg, and I knew he had some compassion, because... I was one of the one times Russell and I was probably six feet in the air and I thought he was going to pile drive me because we were fighting right before that. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pile drive me anyway. So man, he's, he had some hard in him. I wonder who he would go with during yeah, the year did. if you weren't there. I mean, who would even be able to well, handle I think him? at that time, full, I think at that time Fuller was injured and Fulsis was injured. And I honestly, I don't think many people wanted to go with him. I, I know West hand was there, so he'd wrestle him, but you know, that was, I was one guy, so it's probably their, you know, why I was coming down to wrestling them some. And uh, I forget but. that you were there when Roy Salger was there at the beginning. Like, that's a guy who you hear a lot of crazy stories about. But the one thing that sticks out to you was his mind. I mean, anything else about Royce? Any stories? I mean, before we sign off here, because I think that's a really fascinating Royce, character. Royce made wrestling. Royce made the, the room fun. And that's one thing about wrestling. You know, wrestling's a grind. The middle of January, middle of February. And he was one of the biggest characters there were, and he made it fun. I loved having those guys around there like Royce. I love it, man. And and, and, and they backed it up with toughness, though. Those guys, I mean, they, they were they were tough guys back there with him and the Randalls and those guys. Yep. Paul Glenn is a good friend of mine, and he's been on here, and he talks about Royce just having a level of confidence that he has yet to see ever since. Yeah, and that and that's kind of where I I mean that's kind of what you know that was the mindset. I remember going in there in high school and lifting a couple times and him yelling and hollering in the in the in the uh, weight room yelling Big Ten Big Time and just like you know that, <laughs> that confidence and that rubbed off on other and that rubbed off on other people and um, you know I think one of the one of the reasons Iowa would elevate their program not only was gable but he had there were certain guys in in the program that would elevate it and certain leaders of his that were just so intense so tough that they elevated um those around them i think he was one of them um i remember coach i remember i brought this up to coach gable once and i named off four or five guys and and um and he and he said, yeah, and he named off one other guy. I think he said Mike Deanna, which was before my time, but how those guys would bring something to the table that would elevate all those around around them, kind of like a Clayton Rush. You know, he came yeah. in, and his mindset was to win the national title as a freshman, and he, and he about did it. Um, well, like, and the Steiners, too, right? I mean, the brains were there, and they're the twins, so they get a little more press, but Lincoln McAravey says the Steiners had a work ethic you literally could not believe. Oh yeah, no. They yeah, they were literally in. They would do three a days, except on Sunday because they'd always go to church on Sunday. Otherwise, they would do three a days. They would come in and hit. You know, they lift in the morning. We do a practice. They would come in and drill their outside single or their legs every single night of the week. Um, and that's what I don't think anybody put in more time than them. Those guys put in the most time. I think the brands were probably the most in, not probably they were the most intense, um, but. Yeah, and and that's when I came in as a freshman. I had, I had guys like the brands to look up to, um, and you just benefit from being in that environment. Well, and McElravey says he he did what the Steiners said his first year, and even into his second year. But after that, he just couldn't do it anymore, so he had to back off. But like those guys were doing that three a days, all the oh, time. Oh yeah, and that just goes back to the mind, their their the capacity of their mind to do that. There's not many people that could do three a days long term without getting burnout or getting and they could do it and they did it and they made themselves both national champs by doing it well not to mention the mental and toughness you, of troy to his senior year he's a defending national champ undefeated cut down a weight class to let McRavey into the lineup so they could win another team title like that's just how mentally tough that guy was yeah and he got beat you know the guy that he got beat by is one of the best wrestlers in the history of america cola yeah. yeah people don't realize how well, maybe they do, but Troy Steiner was a, I mean, I think he took six his freshman year and he dominated his junior year at 141. He could have stayed up and, and dominated that weight class, but he went down to 30, I think 34 it was with the 
uh, yep. to wrestle that year to li- let Lincoln in the lineup. It's just unheard of to think of like like a Brett Metcalf his senior year in February cutting down to 141. Like you would you wouldn't even think of it nowadays, but that Gable just had this way about him, I guess. I don't know. Um, you would know. <laughs> yep. Um, no, he he could he push all the right buttons. Uh, and, and last thing, coaches, we always sign off with this, and it's been unbelievable to talk to you and i hope to chat with you again as the season gets going kind of as a midway review but as you sign off here for this first one how would you say wrestling's changed your life and what's what's been like the lasting impact for you well it it changed it from one standpoint of that um, i'm making my living in wrestling and and i feel fortunate to be a co and be able to work with the athletes the type of athletes the high level athletes i get to it's an incredibly rewarding job uh, but probably the, the thing I think about, and I think about this, I think about what if I would have went right into football and not have had coach Gable as my coach in the Iowa program to, to, I guess, mold me. Um, and I just, I just think being around him in that environment, you, you become more active in your future, meaning you don't sit back and wait and see what happens you feel like you can dictate the future by how you prepare yourself or how you attack the day or how you look at things in front of you. Uh, it's a mindset. And I feel fortunate to be around coach Gable because even though, you know, I tell you stories about him or you, you know, you hear stories about him. It's different than being around to be able to be around him and just his, and just for five years, basically every day, it's just a different way of way you approach things and look at things. Or I feel fortunate. I know there's other great motivators out there, uh, but uh, I feel fortunate to be able to be around someone like him and have him coach me for four or five years. To be around the guy like that every day, he just rubs off on you in ways that you can't even, it's not even like a conscious thing. It just happens. And before you know it, you're starting to emulate certain things he does. So, uh, man, it's so cool to hear you talk about those stories. And thank you so much for coming on, Coach. We appreciate it. Hey, you betcha, Ryan. Thank you. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.